genuine faith isn't something we just talk about and sing about and once in a while practice, but genuine faith, when we really have faith in God, it holds nothing back. You know, you can't keep a faith that changes you quiet because people see the changes. God's call on Northridge Church was for us to wake the world up to Jesus. It's what we're always going to be about. It's what we want to be about. Not a church organization or a church structure or what happens in a church building. Not even just to believe in him, but to follow him. Jesus' first impression, the very first thing he made clear as he stepped into public ministry was that following him was going to be different. It wasn't going to be passive, it was going to be active. He was inviting people to get up, to take action, to follow him. Jesus plus nothing minus nothing. Jesus. <clears throat> this year, 2016, I chose my first words in my first word in this my first talk very carefully, very intentionally, and you just heard it. Jesus. If we want to experience life in all of its fullness, there is no more important word. Jesus. If we want to see our broken world healed and all those we love who have been broken in it and by it healed, there is no more important word. Jesus. In truth, there is no more important word in any language, in any context, in any moment, for any life than this word. Jesus. 
In speaking of Jesus, in the Bible, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus. Here at Northridge, we have a 16-word mission. It's everywhere you look, on the website and the program we gave you. It's, it's our mission as individual believers and then as a collective community of believers. Wake the world up to Jesus. Show them his love. Tell them his truth. Involve them. Jesus is the most important word in our 16 words. There's no close second. Jesus is the one word that every other word in our 16 words needs in order to find its meaning. Leave Jesus out and nothing else makes sense. Leave Jesus out and nothing else matters. Jesus. And so this weekend as we begin the journey to refocus and reintroduce and re-motivate each and every one of us about our 16 words, we begin not with 16 words. We begin with one word, Jesus. And a lot of people, when I say Jesus, have positive reactions. I mean, many of us are here because that name Jesus means ton to us. We've been taught about him. We've reflected on him. We declare a relationship with him, an allegiance to him. We call him by all kinds of names, Lord and King of Kings, Son of God and Son of Man. And I mean, you think of that, and some of us here have yet to discover the reality of Jesus in your life, and we're so thankful that you're here. Northridge is a place where we give freedom to be on the journey of discovery because all of us are discovering something new. Jesus. But interestingly, I've discovered in my own life and as a pastor for so many years that, that we can think we know Jesus and yet not really know him. In fact, I, I find it in the Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. The Bible says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, his followers, who, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, as a lone voice, answered, you are the Christ, you know, Messiah, Savior, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. You couldn't figure this out on your own. It doesn't come through natural abilities, but, but it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It's a spiritual deal. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I have to tell you, there's a, there's a ton of stuff in that passage, and I've spent time over the course of my ministry dealing with a lot of important truths in that passage. But but you know, one thing that often is missed in this passage is a huge warning and a huge caution to each and every one of us because it's a significant danger that we can experience. And it's simply this, no matter how close you get to Jesus, it's still easy to miss who he really is. I mean, people had the privilege of walking with him and watching him and witnessing what he did and hearing his teaching and and. They, they missed who he really was, even those closest to Jesus who, 
who heard him declaring who he really was, missed who he was. Even those who repeated the words that he used to talk about who he was, missed who he was and missed the impact of who he was. And only Peter in this moment was willing to say, you know, well, you're, you're, you know, you're the dude. You know, you're God, you're Jesus, you're the one we're looking for, you're the Messiah, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the one, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and then Jesus says, yeah, and the only reason you have it, don't get proud about it, is, is, is because God revealed that to you. And unless God opens your eyes and your hearts and your mind, you'll never really understand who I am. No matter how close we get to Jesus, it's still easy to miss who he is. There, you see, the, the people had a high opinion of Jesus then to call him John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets was to elevate him to the highest level they could elevate anyone. The only problem is it wasn't high enough because he wasn't anyone. He was Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the only one who could show them the way and reveal the truth and introduce them to the Father. And most people missed it. Many who follow Jesus never really experience what he came to give us. And I grew up in the Christian religion. And I know some of you did and some of you didn't. But growing up in the Christian religion, I missed who he really was. I didn't get it. And I, I know I missed it because he came to transform our lives to fill us from the inside out with peace and joy and purpose and contentment and meaning and fullness to reintroduce us to what God created us to be in his image, experiencing life in all of its beauty, and I missed it. I was the same piece of messed up flesh I was born as I was singing the songs and making the declarations and declaring that I was a Christian. I wasn't changed at all, and isn't it interesting? Not as a judgment, but as, a, as an honest reflection of reality. Churches all over the world are filled with people who talk about Jesus but aren't transformed by him. And the truth is, here, it's very possible for us to be gathering in the name of Jesus, talking about Jesus and sharing his words and and not being changed. And so we have to ask ourselves, have I gone from empty to full? Have I gone from despairing to joy? Have I gone from hopeless to hope? Have I gone from no meaning to meaning? From a life without purpose to purpose? Have I, have I experienced what he came to do in me or not? You see, many who follow Christ simply become natural believers. By natural believers, I mean they do what they can do. They can change their language and change their appearance and change their behavior. They can go from not going to church to going to church and from not saying prayers to saying prayers and from, you know, saying words that the world doesn't accept to saying world, words that the, word do, the world does accept. I had a hard time with that one, didn't I? But anyway, you get, you get the idea. And they become natural believers. They do what is in their power to do. They can, they can go through catechism classes and they can take communion and they can do all the religious stuff. But, but few become supernatural believers, which is what God said, if you're really going to know me, only God can do that in you 
Few are showing that in their lives. Many follow Jesus, many respect Jesus, many enjoy Jesus, and many benefit from Jesus, but they never get who he really is. And my prayer is that each of us, during the course of our time talking about Jesus this weekend and subsequent weekends this year, will we'll get who he really is and experience the transformation he came to give us. How sad that we would sit in his name and sing in his name and enjoy each other in his name and never experience what he came to give us. Is there anything more sad than that? Jesus. And so here's the truth that I want to give you. Christianity is simply Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And you wouldn't know that from the way the world looks at Christianity. You know, Christianity has become a bad word in our culture and in our language. Christianity has become antagonistic. Christianity has become something that represents hypocrisy and judgment and anger. And it's because Christianity has been made into something Christianity was never meant to be. Christianity is simply Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. But, you know, many people think Christianity is politics either right-wing or left-wing, but that's what it is. Many think Christianity is a philosophy. Many think Christianity is certain traditions. I mean, certain traditions or certain denominations or certain names. Many think that Christianity is certain beliefs or certain behaviors, and, and so we, we, in the name of Jesus, reject each other because we don't measure up to these things which Christianity was never meant to be. But Christianity is simply Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. It's a matter of genuinely knowing Jesus and in knowing him, becoming like him. I mean, Paul saw this when he looked at the church in Colossae, a city that we'll be traveling to when we go to Turkey and Greece this year, and, and he saw it in Laodicea. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 of the book of Colossians. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they can have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the fullness of the mystery of God. And then he identifies it. Let me name it. Let me name the fullness of God. Let me name everything you're looking for. Let me name the whole mystery that's keeping you from knowing what God wants in your life. Here's the mystery. Let me name it. Jesus. It's not Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, this or that. It's Jesus. It's not I'm traditional. I listen to only Christian music and I don't do this and I do this. No, it's Jesus. Jesus is what Christianity is. Nothing more, nothing less. And then he goes on and says, in whom is hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one would deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There are all kinds of people attacking all kinds of other people because they don't measure up to their brand of Christianity. Well, let me tell you, there's only one brand of Christianity, and it's Jesus. And if you're not following him, if you don't know him, then you don't have it. Jesus. It's the whole deal. So if Christianity is simply Jesus, nothing more, nothing less, then let's dissect this a little bit, you know, let's open the Bible and really understand what this means. Well, it means that all the goodness of Christianity, and not Christianity as many express it, but Christianity as Jesus delivered it is filled with goodness, promise and power and potential. It can bring light into a world of darkness and healing into a world of brokenness. All the goodness of Christianity is found 
in Jesus the person. Not in a program, not in a plan, not in a style of church, in Jesus. All the goodness of Christianity cannot be put on. It can only be put in. You see, if we're going to experience true Christianity that can fill us with all the promises of God, then, then we can't put it on. That's what religion does, right? Religion teaches you to put on the traditions and put on the beliefs and put on the politics and put on the philosophy and to put on this. But that's natural stuff, not supernatural stuff. But true Christianity is experienced when God puts Jesus in. And when Jesus comes in, life changes. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Jesus in you, the hope of glory. You want to have some hope? You want to have some glory in your life? You want to live a life and a legacy that can be celebrated one day and matter forever? Then you need to realize it's Jesus in you. That's the hope of glory. Is Jesus in you? He says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that they, we may present everyone perfect in their religion. No, in their politics. No, in their philosophy. No, in their dress. Absolutely not. In Jesus. In Jesus. It goes further. Since Christianity is simply Jesus, nothing more, nothing less, that means becoming a Christian is not about adopting new values. It's not about adopting new lifestyles. It's not about adopting a new center for worship. It's about opening yourself up to Jesus. And you can open yourself up to Jesus anywhere. Isn't that a cool thing? Becoming a Christian is, a, is not about changing how you live. It's about letting Jesus live in you. In fact, growing as a Christian, if we're going to grow in our relationship with God and know Him more and express Him more and experience Him more, then growing as a Christian, we have to understand, is not about getting more of Christ. It's about giving Him more and more of yourself. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord for salvation, for forgiveness, just as you opened your life so he could forgive your sins, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. If we're going to experience the fullness of what God has for us, then we need to let God put Jesus in us. And the more we give of ourselves, the more Jesus can influence who we are. And so I want to give you an application. I mean, uh, here at Northridge, we're not just about kind of jamming truth down your throat. We're about giving you truth and then giving you ways that that might kind of translate into your everyday life. And here's the so what. If we're going to experience true Christianity, if you have any desire to experience what Jesus promised us, you know, love and peace and joy and meaning and purpose and value and contentment and hope forever and ever and ever, you have any desire to experience true Christianity, then then we need to make Jesus the center of our lives. If Christianity is simply Jesus, nothing more or nothing less, then, then our entire life should be focused on Jesus, right? Everything. And, and he's the one that said it. He, you know, there, there was confusion back in his day too. I mean, 
you know, religion always confuses things and man-made teaching and all of this stuff. It confuses things. And so people say, you know, everybody's arguing about what the greatest command is, you know, I mean, I mean, it, you know, if you were to tell us what the greatest command was, the one thing that we should be doing, what would you say it would be? And in Mark 12, 30, look what he said. I mean, this is so inspiring. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I mean, make your entire life fully centered on him. And remember, Jesus is God. I mean, we've already seen this. He's the one who created us and made us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so if we're going to truly experience the fullness of what God has for us, then we need to make Jesus the center of our lives. What does that look like? I'm one of these people that need, it's not enough for you to tell me the truth. I need you to paint pictures for me. And I don't know if that's true of you or not, but let, let me paint the picture for you. And let's just use the great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Here's what it means. If we're going to experience the fullness of God in our lives, then we have to make Jesus the center of our desires. Because isn't that what the heart reflects, our desires? We have to love him with our whole heart, with all of our heart. We, we need to make Jesus the center of our desires. Look at Colossians 3.1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your desires, your longings, your passions on things above, on Jesus, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And I have to tell you, this is, this is when I paint this picture, I start realizing how far Jesus is from the center of my life more often than not. You're not going to believe this probably, because it probably isn't a reflection of you at all, but... Do you know who's more often than not the center of my desires? You're going to have a hard time guessing this. Do you know who more often than not is the center of my desires? Can you guess? Me. Not you. Who cares about you? <laughs> Me. I'm at the center of my desires. And, and not Jesus. I'm at the center of my desires. You say, yeah, but you, you talk to Jesus. Yeah, I talk to Jesus about giving me what my heart desires. And if he doesn't give me what my heart desires, then he's messed up. He's messing up. He's missing the whole gig. But no, I'm the one that's missing the whole gig. And you know, it's easy for me to confess this in front of you, number one, because it's so obvious I couldn't lie to you, and number two, because you're as bad or worse than I am. <laughs> you say, oh, I pray. I'm a really strong Christian. Awesome. Let me see your prayer journal. Most of you say prayer journal. I don't have a prayer journal. Oh, you don't even... Okay. But if you did have a prayer journal, if I read it, I promise you, you would be at the center of all your prayers. You say, no, nah, my family's at the center of my prayers. Oh, yeah, your family has nothing to do with you. What happens when your family gets sick? You're miserable. What happens when things go wrong with your family? You're miserable. You pray for your family so God takes the crap away from them so they stop putting the crap on you. Boy, that's a horrible view of life, isn't it? But that is true. Do you know when life changes when Jesus is in? And you know when Jesus is in, when we start centering our desires on him. If we're going to really center the entirety of our lives on him, then we have to center our thoughts on him. Center all of our thoughts on him. I'm going to... Colossians 3, 2 says it. Set your minds, your thoughts on things above, not on earthly things. We're supposed to love God with all of our minds. Set your thoughts and Jesus at the center of your thoughts. And I, look, I've been a pastor for three and a half decades. I've been a believer for longer than that. And I mean, Jesus is very important to me. But do you know, 
Very few mornings is Jesus the first thought on my mind when I wake up. And I'm just trying to be honest here. Sometimes he is, but not... More often than not, you know what's the first thought I have when I wake up in the morning? Starbucks. No wonder our lives are so messed up. I mean, if Jesus is going to be at the center of my life, he has to be at the center of my thoughts. If he's at the center of my thoughts, I'm going to think about him more than anything else. Do you? If Jesus is going to be at the center of our, our lives, he has to be at the center of our choices. We're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. And you see, the soul is the center of our being. It's, it's where heart and thoughts come together and we actually express our will. It's, it's where we make our choices. And if we're going to ultimately have Jesus at the center of our lives, he has to be at the center of our choices. That's the function of the soul. Set your heart. Make the choice to put your heart on Jesus. Make your choice to put your mind on Jesus, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says. I'm going to tell you, as I review the choices of my life, very seldom do I see Jesus at the center. No wonder I'm not experiencing his fullness all the time. How about you? It's about Jesus. Sometimes I have the church at the center. Sometimes I have my family at the center. Sometimes I have myself at the center. But, but the only time it really works is when Jesus is at the center. How, how about you? These choices that you've made going into this year... 17 days in, Jesus at the center? If we're going to ultimately experience the fullness of all Jesus has for us, then he has to be at the center of our actions. Uh, love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And strength is, is the part of us that functions the, the behavioral patterns, the outworkings of our desires and thoughts and choices. It's our actions. And we're supposed to have him at the center of all of our actions. And Paul tells us that when we have him at the center of all of our actions, you know what happens? It's interesting. He tells us when he's at the center of our actions, we stop doing some things that we naturally do. And when he's at the center of our actions, we start doing some things we don't naturally do. I mean, he says it. In fact, let me let him say it. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, 8, and 9. He says, he says, when Jesus is at the center, when it's about Christ in you, the hope of glory, put to death, stop doing, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, you know, those things that come naturally to you, sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed, because those things then take the place of God. They become idolatry. And then he says, and it goes beyond those things. You must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And so there are some things we have to stop doing. Because there are some things that come very naturally to Brad, but they don't come naturally to Jesus. And if Brad has given himself fully to Jesus and Jesus is living through Brad, Brad's not doing those things anymore. How about you? And when Jesus is at the center of my actions, I love him with all of my strength, he, there are some things I start doing that don't come naturally to me. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, as people who have Jesus at the center, holy and dearly loved... 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. By nature, I am nowhere close to one of those things. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I had to Google those to find out what they meant. <laughs> but when Jesus is in me, they come natural to him. In fact, you can't stop Jesus from showing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and pain. You can't stop him from doing it. So if he's living in you, these things are natural to him in you. Goes further in Colossians 3. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Things we need to start doing. You know, I've, I, I can start evaluating myself and I can start realizing. Because I'll, almost every day I'll say, Yeah, Jesus is the center. Jesus, go Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. But the truth is, when I. Start doing things that Jesus would have stopped doing. And when I stop doing things that I know Jesus would have started doing in my life, I know that Jesus isn't at the center. Brad's at the center again. And you know, the people around me can see it too. My, my precious wife, Roxanne, you know, we've been married for 36 years. It'll be 37 this year. And I'm going to tell you, she knows, she knows when I'm walking in Jesus and she knows when I'm running from Jesus. She knows. She'll even say it. Whew, not going so well with Jesus these days, right? She can see it. She can see it. You know, when people look at us, they should see Jesus, right? When they look at us, they should think Jesus. In fact, let me just ask you, when people look at you, when they see what you're not doing and when they see what you are doing, do they think Jesus? Or do they think Jesus? Did I just say that out loud? I, I'm not, not sure I should have, you know. Um, but it's true. When Jesus is at the center, he's at the center of our desires and our thoughts. He's at the center of our choices, and he's at the center of our actions. Is he at the center? Jesus, you might be unbelievably Christian in your politics, you think. You might be unbelievably Christian in your philosophy, you think. You might be unbelievably Christian in your traditions, you think. But if Jesus isn't at the center, you're not Christian. Because Christianity is simply Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Is he at the center? I just have some suggested action steps. I mean, we, we love to give suggestions, and they're suggestions. Can't tell you what to do, but I'm going to say this. The first step you should take in response to this talk is if you don't know Jesus, you should know Jesus. That's the deal. You don't have to know Northridge. You don't have to know me. You don't have to like Northridge. You don't have to like me. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. And so, before I, I kind of wrap up another action step, and then I want to give you the fullness, really kind of the most powerful motivation for this whole thing I want to give you at the end from Colossians that Paul gives us. What happens when we make Jesus the center of our lives? So please, stay with me. But if, 
if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity right now. And so before I move forward in the talk, if you just bow with me in a moment of prayer. And I know I'm so thankful for those of you at Northridge Brighton. I'm so thankful for those of you at Northridge Grosseal. We also have Northridge Celine going on. And for those of you here, those of you online, but if you just take a moment right now and just reflect on this. And if you're here and you're saying, I hear the knock, I want to let Jesus in. I don't want to put Christianity on. I want God to put it in. Then pray with me. Take my words and make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I, I need you. I've, I've tried to live my life without you and I've sinned against you and I've, I've failed. But you died on the cross to forgive me, so I give you my sin and by faith I receive your forgiveness and you rose again to give me new life and I'm asking you to put your life in me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I just really encourage you, there's a life to be lived now in relationship with God. And we've put together a letter about next steps you can take in building that life in relationship with God. And all we need to, to do to get it to you is to know that you prayed with me. And so in the program we've, we give you in our live services, there's this connection card. Would you just take it out, fill it out, and check that bottom circle? And then, you know, put it in a box. We have a box at every single exit at all of our different campuses, and we'll send you that letter and help you take next steps. Also want to encourage you, next weekend we're starting our starting point groups. They're groups that are perfect if you're just starting out in your relationship with God or starting out on your journey with us here because they help you to truly understand God and Jesus and yourself and grace and forgiveness and how to start living. And they're wonderful groups filled with people just like you and, and people starting out. So I, all you have to go to northridgechurch.com or go to guest services and sign up for starting point groups. It'll, it really will be life-changing for you. And finally, if... You want to talk to someone or pray with someone? We have a prayer team that meets up front after we leave. And so when I say goodbye, just come up front and our prayer team will be here. But there's another suggested action step. I, if you're going to know Jesus, then you've got to spend time with him, right? And so this, this year, 2016, is all about our 16 words. And it better be about the number one word, Jesus, or all the other words don't matter. And so we, we want to encourage you to spend time. And I don't know if you, this is really wonderful. Uh, a bunch of you, for the very first time in your life, got here early for church because, <laughs> because we started 11.16 now, and it, you thought it was 11. You forgot, you know, and uh, welcome to North Bay. Isn't the beginning of the service awesome? Seriously, but, but the reason we're starting our services at 16 after the hour now is because we want to remind you of the 16 words. That's how important it is to us. And, you know, we're going to do all kinds of things to surprise you with this word 16, but... But this week, we want to encourage you to spend 16 minutes every day with Jesus, looking into his word and, and talking to him. It's just 16 minutes. And because you're just starting out, we want you to begin 16 minutes for 16 days. 16 minutes for 16 days. You can do it. 16 minutes for 16 days because he's the one word that you need, Jesus. And to help you, we're going to, every day starting Monday, starting tomorrow, we're going to give a verse for you to focus on, helping you to take the weekend further into your life. We're going to do it through social media. And so I want to encourage you, uh, get on the Northridge Facebook page or get on Northridge Instagram or get on Northridge Twitter and, 
And, uh, and you can find out about those things on the back of the program, and we'll send you this first through social media. And I, I have a Facebook page where I try and communicate outward. Um, it's not a Facebook page like you have where you have friends, and they have no one likes me enough to be my friend. So I got this thing called a fan page. Actually, I had so many friend requests, I couldn't do it. And so I have this thing called a, a public page, a fan page. And what you have to do is you have to like it. Go to Brad Powell slash Facebook and then like that page and my newsfeed will come in. I'm gonna to start to write some, not every day, but some devotionals on these issues to help you go further and I hope that you'll join me in this conversation. And, and as we talk through social media, we, it's not a one-way conversation from Northridge to you because you're Northridge. And so we're going to use hashtag 16 words. Hashtag's the number symbol, 16 words, and that'll allow us all to assemble into a conversation and make an impact, actually, on all these different social media platforms, and, and I hope that you'll start joining the conversation looking for it. But here's the result now, and then we're done. What's the result of making Jesus the center of our lives, of making Jesus the most important word, the most important person in our lives? When, when we make him the center of our desires and our thoughts and our choices and our actions, what happens? Well, Paul tells us, look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ rule dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what happens when Jesus becomes the center of your life? This passage tells us that all of a sudden, peace will rule your heart. And isn't that what we long for, really, in our marriages, in our lives, in our world? Peace will rule our heart when Jesus is at the center. This passage tells us that God's Word will fill our thoughts. His Word produces freedom and fullness. His Word is true, and God's Word will start filling our thoughts. Gratitude will start guiding our choices instead of making choices in response to things that have gone wrong and bitterness and anger will we'll make choices based upon the fact that we're grateful. And this passage tells us that in the end, Jesus' glory, Jesus being worshiped, and Jesus being lifted up, and Jesus being honored will be our goal. And can you imagine if Jesus' glory, if Jesus being lifted up was everyone's goal? Every tragic event on this planet would be eliminated, and the love and the light and the beauty that Jesus came to give us would be experienced. Too often we look to the wrong thing. Listen, 2016, politics. I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are not going to get the president you want. In fact, look at I've looked across the spectrum of candidates from the right to the left, and here's my thought. None of us are going to get the president we wanted. None of us. But if we make Jesus king of our lives, we will get the lives we want, and if enough of us make Jesus king of our lives, 
we will get the world we and he wants because Jesus is the word. So, in conclusion, let's all choose Jesus. Simply Jesus. What a world it will be. We'll see you next time.